Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Caveman follows L.A. Playboy Dean, who was fed up with one-night stands and empty relationships, and he realizes he he wants something more out of life than just a party. With a little inspiration from his nine-year-old nephew and his best friend Tess, Dean decides to try his hand at finding true love for the first time, which proves to be a little more difficult than he thought in modern-day Los Angeles. That is the plot for the film Cavemen, and, or the synopsis of the film Cavemen. We're joined by the first-time director uh, of the film Cavemen, Herschel Faber. Herschel, welcome to film school. Thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for being here. And uh, a very fun film, uh, I, I, you know, in, in, uh, in a way that kind of was reminiscent to me, uh, a little bit of Swingers, going back to uh, Vince Vaughn and, uh, and, and, the, and company. Um, is there, tell me a little bit about the origins, the, uh, the genesis of this story uh, for Cavemen. Well, it's funny you say that Swinger that it sort of resembles Swingers. Um, you know, because Swingers is actually one of my favorite films. So if I made you think of that, then then I'm very happy. Um, the origins of the of Caveman actually happened while I was in film school. I went to Columbia University where I got my MFA um, in writing and directing. And at the time, I happened to be living uh, in this very strange, awkward living situation um, in a in a windowless loft in downtown uh, New York City. Okay. And I had been living with three friends who were all very sort of strange characters. <laughs> and I decided, hey, why not write a screenplay about it? <laughs> and, you know, this is right off the cuff of, uh, the, cusp of uh, the release of Swingers, which became, you know, one of my favorite films. And, you know, I sort of sought out at the time to sort of emulate that, that, uh, that film and the script, actually, after I wrote the script, it won a couple of awards, and I was going to shoot it while I was in film school. But instead, I was, I was sort of convinced by my producer to come out to L.A. and, and start my life as a screenwriter, which I did. Um, but the screenplay sort of languished on, the, on a shelf for many, many moons. And I had the experience a couple of years ago to get back behind the camera and just sort of, you know, it sort of reignited my passion and love for, for that part of, of filmmaking. And uh, I decided, hey, time to make Caveman. So uh, so I understand that you um, came here to Los Angeles as a screenwriter mm-hmm. with this sort of dream deferred, if you will, from, from your time in New York City, with the, really the, 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 uh, the seeds of the film Cavemen. So yes. now when you make that transition, I'm sure there are a lot of, a lot of people in the industry, filmmakers and such, uh, listen to this show, which I'm very happy about. So yeah. tell, tell us budding filmmakers how you make a transition from screenwriter to filmmaker. What is that process like uh, for you, or what was it like for you to do that? Well, the first thing I had to do was um, I had to adapt the screenplay to Los Angeles. I originally thought, huh, I'll shoot this thing in New York since it was originally set in New York. And then I realized it's really, really expensive to make an independent film. At the time, for me, it was very expensive to make a film in New York. And, you know, I didn't raise a whole heck of a lot of money. So I came up with the idea. I actually found this article on the hipster train, which which was in the L.A. Times. It's about this train that goes from Hollywood to downtown Los Angeles, where all the hipsters kind of live every Thursday night. And they're all kind of drunk and 
whatnot. And I was like, wow, that sort of sounds like what life was like for me when I was living in, in New York. So I went down there and I, I just discovered this real renaissance, uh, you know, what was going on in downtown Los Angeles and still is at the time, just evolving on a daily basis. So I sort of spent two or three months down there kind of soaking in the culture, making, you know, downtown Los Angeles my own and sat down in a couple of weeks, rewrote the screenplay for LA, um, which was the first step. And then, you know, it's actually a really long sort of convoluted thing. I think the original question was how, you know, how'd you do this? How'd you become how'd a writer? I do it? Yeah. Actually, the, you know, after raising a very small amount of money, you know, my real big break was a friend of mine uh, was friends with a really, really great uh, Emmy winning casting director, a guy named John Levy, hmm. who, uh, who got his hands on the screenplay, called me one day out of the blue, said, are you making this movie? And I, I was strong at the time. I said, yeah, we're making it. And he said, how much money you got? And I said, not a lot. And there was a long, a long pause. And then he said, come on in, let's meet, you know? And so, you know, to his credit, he, he saw, he saw what I saw in, you know, on the page and took a chance and really, really went to bat for the screenplay. And it was very helpful in terms of, of getting the cast. And once you get the cast, the cast, you know, everything else sort of falls into place. I should also mention that I, I um, had the very fortunate experience of meeting a guy named Paul Payne, who uh, at the time was with a company called Instinctive Film, but is now part of his own company called Traverse Media. And Cole uh, is sort of a sort of a man about town who knows how to get things done and how to get things done inexpensively. Um, and is a great producer and was able to sort of convince me that, hey, we could also make this movie, you know, for the price point we were talking about, which right. was a lot. Right. Well, and that, that's obviously, you you know, obviously you never have too much money when you're making a film, but if sure. if you can make it look, and that uh, that is something I did want to talk about. Uh, by the way, I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Herschel Faber, and he's the director of the film Cavemen. Comes out February seventh here in Los Angeles. I think the NoHo. Am I correct? NoHo seven. In... It's going to be at the NoHo seven. That's that's one of our confirmed locations. Right, and and it's opening in. Uh, you said in twenty markets across the country. Correct. Fantastic. I mean, obviously that's that's great uh, for uh, obviously for you and for the film. And one of the um, very appealing things about Cavemen is the cast. And um, in your description, it sounded like you did you have a cast in mind, or did it, did it happen after you started to get some money in from uh, from your friend? Yeah, I mean, at the time, I didn't have any one person in mind. I was really just excited to sort of get in the room yeah. and have have people read and see, you know, see who the right fit was. It was really, you know, as a coming from the world of writing and entering into directing, that was a fascinating thing for me because it was like hearing your words, you know, through the mouths of accomplished actors. You know, it changes sort of the way you see your own screenplay, mm-hmm. um, and really begins to sort of shape your shape the way you're going to direct it. Um, so, you know, the script kind of evolved actually even in the uh, in the casting process. But I had, you know, casting process was really also interesting in that, you know, not a lot of my actors read for me. It was more um, just sort of meet and greet, getting to know me. It was more I was auditioning for my actors. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they had a track record, all of them, um, and I didn't in terms of, you know, in terms of my work as a director. So it was uh, it was sort of 
an exercise in selling people on my dream, my idea, and then rolling them in the process of making a movie with, you know, got a lot of money. I find that very interesting, that you, the way you put that, because uh, I've, I've never actually asked a director about uh, sitting in, in, a, in a casting call, which they mm-hmm. do, Mm-hmm. And hearing actors read these lines and realizing, for whatever reason, that sometimes just casting someone will influence or Im- have an impact on on the actual spoken word. That's a ve- I had never thought about it, but that makes sense. I mean, obviously, when you're yeah. hearing somebody say it in ways that you hadn't envisioned it as a writer, that would mm-hmm. yeah, that makes sense. But uh, very interesting, yeah. very interesting. No, I mean it was it was I, I I was shocked at how how much the screenplay you know wound up changing just in that process and you know if you cast the right actor they just take you know they take the material to another level and I was looking for people who could sort of find the laughs in between the laughs that was very important to me mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah it was a lot of fun yeah uh, the cast by the way we're talking about the cast it's a uh, Skylar Aston or I'm yes. Aston Skylar no Skylar Aston yeah uh, yep. Camilla Bell, mm-hmm. uh, Chad Michael Murray, mm-hmm. Kenny Wormald, mm-hmm. uh, Deo Okaniyi. Yeah, Deo Okaniyi. Yeah, he, he he was in the Hunger Games. Go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then and then Alexis Knapp. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just it's a very and it's a young cast, uh, very attractive. You know, mm-hmm. be honest, really attractive mm-hmm. cast you had here. Sure. And uh, and then in, on top of all that, you've got the writing, you've got a, 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 the cast, and then you brought in at some point you brought in a, a, a cinematographer who gives mm-hmm. this. You're talking about a movie that didn't have a lot of money, but looks like it had a lot of money, mm-hmm. and a lot of credit I would assume goes to your cinematographer Nick uh, Sadler. Oh, without a doubt, Nick. Um... <clears throat> Nick is, yeah, he's an accomplished cinematographer, um, and he had a lot of relationships around town and pulled in a lot of favors. Uh, one of the things when he and I were talking about the movie and what we, what, you know, our mutual ideas about how it should look, um, the goal was to make, you know, a big budget looking rom com uh, for, you know, for no cost. And so one of the things that he did was he reached out to Ari and to the camera house locally. And was able to, to get us a, a very nice deal on the Ari Alexa Studio, hmm. and my, that in tandem with some of my producers' re, um, uh, requests, got us a deal with Adobe, whereby we were able to get what's called the Codex, which allowed us to shoot 4K. So wow, that that was a pretty amazing thing. We had the same camera package that Skyfall had, the James Bond film that yeah. had just been a shooting when we were shooting, wow. and. Uh, the other really cool thing was we were able to, we got our hands on these power lenses, which uh, allowed us to shoot CinemaScope. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the movie, you know, looks, I think, you know, and obviously I'm biased, but I think it looks really beautiful. Oh, absolutely. I, I, yeah. I couldn't agree more. It is uh, a beautiful, excuse me, it's a beautiful looking film. And the, you, yeah. you see, as we said earlier, you shot it in Los Angeles. Yeah, and you, it, Los Angeles looks great, <laughs> in, okay. in it, you know, yeah. Every, yeah, and uh, yet now um, a lot of the uh, the story takes place in in what appears to be a loft. That was also, I assume, a Los Angeles location as well. Yep, yeah. it was indeed. Yeah, no, it, it really, it, to your point, it, it's uh, it has it has the markings of a of a, bu- a high budget film. Uh, and I'm also read in the in some of the notes on the on the film. 
that in the post-production as well, there was a, you know, a high-end post-production house. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, it was really cool. By the way, just as an aside, if, you're, if anyone's interested in seeing, hearing more about how we shot the film, yeah. um, Nick actually wrote an article for American Cinematographer, which is going to be out, the magazine, which is going to be out in February. So look for it. It's a really great article that sort of details everything we went through in terms of making the film. But speaking well, to the well, Herschel, while, while while we're doing that, while we're plugging sure. that, why don't we plug the the website where people can go to find out a, a little bit more about the film as well? Yeah, um, they can go to WellGo USA. They're our distributor. They're a phenomenal group of people um, who believe wholeheartedly in the film and are rolling it out. Um, so it's WellGoUSA.com. And the link leads, there's a link there that leads to Caveman the Movie. Also, okay. we're on Twitter, Caveman the Movie. Um, and obviously, we have our Facebook fan page, which is Caveman the Movie. Very good. Um, so thank you. I appreciate the plug. Um, but yeah, getting back to the, the point about our post team, a very fortunate thing happened. We somehow, and I think this is also the doing of, of my producer, Cole Payne, he uh, was able, he reached out to a gentleman by the name of Steen Cohen. Who was the head? Who had been the former head of uh, Zoetrope, which was Francis Ford Coppola's uh, post-production house? Um, and so he really took an interest in our workflow. You know, the fact that we were this tiny movie that was, you know, sort of aiming for the stars, and they hadn't done any projects that were that that were edited in 4K. Um, and so. They made us a really great offer, and we sort of teamed up um, with, you know, I teamed up with not just Seen, but also a guy named Robbie Schaefer, who's Francis Ford Coppola's current editor, um, and we just had a blast. I did most of the editing up in San Francisco, and, you know. Wow. Nice. It was amazing to have, but yeah, it was nice. It was, I mean, you know, when we did our sound mix, I was, I was doing the sound mix, you know, on the estate in Napa on Coppola Estate, you know, just, you know, full of movie history and memorabilia and it was completely almost an out-of-body experience, you know, because um, I'm a big fan of his. Yeah. So it was just, you know, again, the, the process of making this movie was really, was really just about the stars aligning kind of every step of the way. Um, so... That's, a, that's an amazing story. Uh, by the way, our listeners, we're speaking with uh, Herschel Faber. He's the director of the new film, Cavemen, and uh, Cavemen is out on February 7th in, uh, as we said earlier, 20 markets across the country, including here in Los Angeles at the NoHo 7 in North Hollywood. And uh, great theater, by the way. It's really nice. NoHo is a terrific cool. area to just to hang out in, and you've got some great theaters over there as well. Cool. Um, now, Herschel, as your first film, obviously going from and and by the way, just your 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 story, while not a hundred percent replicable, mm-hmm. however, does point to the idea for a lot of people, filmmakers, budding filmmakers, aspiring mm-hmm. filmmakers, that do not give up on your dreams, and that right. that is, I mean, I, I would you would you concur that that yeah, stay with completely. it, completely, yeah. yeah, stick with it, even if it's been sitting around for a while, you know. You have to be sort of uh, tenacious, honestly. You just got to go for it at some point, though. For me, you know, I have a family of, I have three kids and a beautiful wife. And I was reaching a point in my career where I sort of said to myself, I have a, I have a small window left to, you know, to go for it and make a film. Um, and that's really the reason why I came out here in the first place. So, you know, I had, there was a, a certain ticking, ticking clock 
that I was feeling. And I, I believe you got to sort of listen to those those sort of inner workings and, and follow you know follow your heart. Yeah, well, that's great. And it sounds like you have uh, the, the encouragement and, and uh, support from uh, your family as well. So that I do, uh, I do. That's great. That's great to hear. Very lucky. Now, now, as a first-time film director, let's kind of get into the nuts and bolts. Sure. You are a screenwriter. Now you're a director. Tell me a little bit about your process. Uh, how? What kind of a director are you? Hands-on? Are you? Do we improv in your on your set? And and we'll we'll, we'll start there. What what kind of a, a director do you you find yourself to be? Um, you know, I'm surprised myself. I'm very detail-oriented, okay. um, but I'm not a slave to the written word either. Like, I really, really value an actor who can come in, as I said before, and sort of, you know, find the laughs between the laughs. And all my actors were excellent at doing that. And and I want, you know, at the the end of the day, for me, it was important to get what was on the page. But I knew that if I just stuck with that, the movie wouldn't be as good as it could be, you know, if I I explored sort of other possibilities. Mm -hmm. So that, for me, was was a very important part of the process. I'm big on improv. And also, um, you know, just heading into the actual making of the movie, my, my DP and I, we spent three weeks where we, you know, eight hours a day, three weeks, really, really going over our shot list. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, having the whole movie kind of mapped out. Because when you're making a, a low-budget film, there's not a lot of time to, like, sit around and figure out what you want to do, you know? How many shooting days? We had 18 shooting days. Wow. Yeah. That is, 18. yeah. So we, so there wasn't a lot. I had days where, like, for example, there's a party sequence in the end. Mm-hmm. And my producer said, okay, so you're going to be shooting nine pages today. <laughs> was yeah. Like nine, nine pages, which, you know, I, I think is a very common thing in, in the uh, indie low-budge filmmaking world, but... I mean, nine pages is nine pages. That's a lot to get through, that and is. you gotta you gotta know what you're doing at every turn and have a sort of a backup plan when things go south because they always do in some way or another, in some form or another. So, really, spending that three weeks beforehand was helpful for me as a director because it allowed me. You know, I'd like to say I think quickly on my feet, but I sort of you know coming from the world of, of the writer, it's I thought of every. I, I like to think I thought of everything that could go wrong and sort of wrote the disasters out in my head before they happened. Mm-hmm. So, I, so, so you know, I usually had sort of a backup plan if we could, didn't have time for a shot or we could only do, you know, I had, for example, there was a scene between Skylar and Camila mm-hmm. and I had five setups planned and we had 30 minutes left in the day. And at this point I had asked for, you know, I had asked for a lot of leeway with the crew and I couldn't, I couldn't push them anymore and I realized that. So I looked at, said Nick, uh, and I said, okay, we're going to get this in one shot. And it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. So, hmm. you know, sometimes you have to make those, those compromises and those choices and, and you know. So, so in that regard, uh, you know, you've got the first under your belt. Mm-hmm. What is What are the lessons that you take forward? Uh, by the way, for our listeners, uh, 18 days is a ridiculously short amount of time to make a movie, to shoot a yeah. movie. Uh, usually, what, when I ask a director that, and these are indies and small films, they mm-hmm. they get twenty three, twenty five. Every once in a while, you hear somebody say twenty eight, which is right. seems like I'm to you that would seem like that's I mean, a dream. 
Yeah, 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 that seems like an epic. You know, you could do Gone with the Wind for for in 28 days. You shot, yeah. uh, you know, Caveman, but Caveman, and but uh, so moving forward as as, as mm-hmm. a film director, uh, what do you what lessons are you taking away from your experiences with Caveman as a as a director and as a manager as well? You know, I. I... One of the big lessons that I learned is you have to just, uh, you know, I was humbled by the amount of, of uh, things that sort of came to me as a result of uh, making the film. Um, but, you know, the making of the film was also an exercise in, I was, you know, I was on my knees begging the whole time, you know, begging people to stay longer, begging people to do things and really relying upon the kindness of strangers. And, and, and that's a great thing because people, people, people are kind and they want to be involved in the project that they're passionate about. And, you know, it, it, that's, I think, if you can keep, just in terms of managing a set, if you can keep people as excited as you are about it, or at least close to as excited as you are, then, you know, the movie's going to, at least the experience of making the movie will, will be uh, a memorable one, mm-hmm. and hopefully a successful one. So that, for me, was a really, really important lesson to learn. And the other lesson I learned is, you know, not to, sometimes not to talk too much, like I'm doing right now, <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's like, don't you know? When it, let, sometimes it's important to, to you know let an actor figure it out, you know, on his own or her own, um, and to guide them rather than to sort of you know dictate what it needs to be every second of the every, every you know sort of moment of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was important to learn as well. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, by the way, my two cents and that's mm-hmm. literally what I think it's probably worth but I'll, I'll say it anyway and that is what I have found over the years of uh, interviewing uh, uh, the filmmakers uh, producers actors is building a core group around you that that you can you know that are transportable from one project to the other I, I mean you can look at people like Woody Allen and there yeah. are a number of film directors who who put in place people they trust the Coens put you know they have they have their cinematographer or whatever. I think that seems to be a, a, a good formula. At least a, it seems to set people up for success because they know they have a known quantity of a, a, a group of loyal people around them. I, I think that that yeah. seems to serve well. So if you're completely. A, yeah. Yeah. So um, well, to speak to that, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, that's why I think the film, that's so astute. That's why the film business is such a quickish kind of business, I think, is because once you find people that you really, really work well with, mm-hmm. the fear of the unknown is so great. It's like, yeah. you know, no one wants to sort of typically reach outside their comfort zone. And people do, obviously. That's the only way it gets done. But, like, when you find that team of people you really trust and believe in, it's, yeah. it's magic. Yeah. Uh, in the last couple of minutes that we have with you, sure. uh, Herschel Faber, director of Cavemen, um, just a quick note about the cast. I, I thought there was some very promising uh actors in this group i know they're we described they're pretty mm-hmm. much pretty start just a lot of them are just starting out in their in their careers but mm-hmm. uh, i was particularly struck by uh and not just because she's an attractive woman uh, just because mm-hmm. Cam- camilla um camilla uh, bell camilla bell i thought she yeah. was really pretty terrific in terms of her her range in 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 the film and um i i i expect to see her uh, a lot more just moving oh forward. she's I think Camila is a phenomenal actress, and she, um, you know, she she's 
she says so much with her eyes, yeah. I think. Yeah. And that was one of the things while I was shooting. You know, we didn't have enough money where I actually had playback. Mm-hmm. So I would be watching it through the, the video assist monitor. And, you know, at the time, I would be like, some, there would be occasions where I'd be like, Camila, we need it a little bit bigger. And she'd be like, stop saying bigger. And she was completely right because she was just nailing it. Like, yeah. just she was so, her performance is so subtle at times. And she's just a really, really great actor. And she's, you know, she's, got a, a very long sort of pedigree. She's been the star of a lot of, um, you know, bigger budget movies. She was in Push, 10,000 BC. She was in The Ballad of Little Joe. She's got a great sort of uh, resume. Well, I, between the, the chemistry with her and Skylar, yeah. I, I thought well, they're good chemistry, but also, and if I were to sort of pinpoint why I'm talking about her in, in, mm-hmm. in, in this way, is she has really good timing. I, I, I noticed that uh, for me... Watching her performance, uh, she she really sort of nails a certain rhythm uh, when in a scene, and she's very good at sort of that interplay. And I, I just found her to be an extremely appealing actress or actor. And 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 uh, so, uh, yeah. not that they did not that the rest of the crew was you know right. not good. I just right. I just thought she really kind of uh, she really sort of pops up off the screen. So she did. I, I appreciate that. She is great. I'm 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 very pleased with her performance and Skyler. Also, you know, yeah. Skyler's one of the, he was in Pitch Perfect. He's one of the stars yeah. of Pitch Perfect. Yeah. And I was very fortunate to get him because we cast him right before Pitch Perfect was released and sort of his star began to really, really rise. Mm-hmm. And, and very lucky in that respect. And he's, an, he's a phenomenal actor. And, yeah. you know, his roots are in Broadway. He was in the original cast of Spring Awakening. And, you know, he's really great at, at getting, you know, helping. He's a very... Um, giving actor like i think he was very helpful to camila and yeah. you know i would say the same vice versa the two of them had just a lot of chemistry i was really proud of how how that part of the movie came out yeah he he reminds um, me uh, a bit of paul rudd there's just yeah. a, a little bit of that in 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 his in his manner and and um i thought and the way he yeah his, his the way he plays the scene it, it's sort of a, a low-key approach but he's also very much in the scene as well so yeah yeah uh, no, he's he's super talented yeah but what do you think of chad chad everybody oh chad chad, <laughs> chad yeah chad's the player right i mean he's he's yeah. quite the yeah well again he's he's one of those i thought he did a great job he's like oh, yeah. he is a character that uh that yeah, obviously he's a catalyst for so much of the action in mm-hmm. the film. I mean, people not so much you know his you know his uh, sexual uh, a conquest. I'm not talking about right. that. I'm talking about all the characters seem to bounce off of him in one way or another. He's he's sort yeah. of the he's sort of the like the yeah the catalyst as I would have called. Yeah, him. he is. He's kind of the yeah. kind of the wise man, oddly, of the movie. Yeah. Even though there are times you question that, but in the end, he sort of proves to be that. Right. Well, um, yeah. But he to me. He's the id of the film. I mean, he's just yeah. un, un, unfettered, un, unleashed id, and uh, yeah. and it's you know, and of course, it plays into this uh, into the idea of the cavemen, and he's certainly sure. kind of an embodiment of that sort of sense of the um, sense of being. But yeah, yeah. no, I, I, there's a good cast, and and yeah. uh, and uh, like I said, it, it's a very attractive film with a good-looking cast. It's funny. There's a lot of kind of situational humor in it as well. So, uh, congratulations to you. And I, I mean, I, Thanks, Mike. it's such an accomplishment. I, I, my, I am truly uh, in awe of people who can pull off uh, a film to pull all the elements together, financing, and just just the day to day stuff that goes into it, and be able to do it well. And uh, my congratulations well, to you for that. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. That means a lot to me. I'm yeah. I'm just kind of pinching.
pinching myself that it's all happening. <laughs> yeah, well, good good luck to you uh, in your future Thanks. endeavors. Um, and uh, yeah, and hopefully you find some time. Uh, excuse me, find some time with your next uh, next uh, um, project and come back on film school. We'd love to have you. Oh, that that would be phenomenal. I really appreciate the time. Uh, thank you. I want to remind our listeners once again: uh, the film is Cavemen. It is out February 7th here in Los Angeles, and it sounds like across the country and uh, different markets around the country. And did you say mm-hmm. v- VOD as well? It'll right? be, on, it'll be uh, on VOD as well. We'll be in, I think, between 50 and 100 million homes on February 7th. Awesome. Uh, and also in theaters, so I'm really excited about that. And and again, here in Los Angeles area, uh, it is at the uh, NoHo 7 in North Hollywood and mm-hmm. um, and beyond. And so... Uh, Herschel Faber, thank you for being on Film School. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 